Thank you, son. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Although they knew God. How is it possible that everyone knows God? Who taught them? Who showed you that God exists? What does verse 19 say? Who is behind you knowing God through creation? God is. It says, for God has shown it to them. Now, if, if someone approached you on the street and they wanted to ask you questions about yourself, personal information, you don't know them from Adam, would you feel any obligation to give them this information? Well, probably not, right? Uh, you would say, I don't have to tell you anything. I don't know you. I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you this information. This information is mine. It's personal. It's about me. What if it was an enemy? If an enemy wanted to know personal information about you, all the more you would say, no, right? I mean, this is why we practice so many of these privacy things nowadays because people are devious and they have plans and strategies to take your personal information and use it for wicked means. Uh, All the more you would say, I don't have to tell you anything. Here's another question. Would you even want to? Let's go to desire. Right? Someone that comes to you on the street, uh, an enemy, someone who, who hates you, who, who doesn't love you, who seeks to do you harm, and they want to know information about you. Just the question itself, is there anything in you that would even desire, let alone actually give them that information, but anything in you that would actually desire to? Again, the answer would be, Absolutely not. Let's take it a step further. What if you have been gracious enough to actually answer one of these inquiries? If you actually did say, you know what, I'll give you something, I'll give you my name. I'll tell you where I was born. But that's it. I'm not giving you any more than that. And they didn't hear you. Would you repeat yourself? You should say, look, you should have been listening. That's it. I'm not giving you anything else. How many times would you repeat? Once? Twice? Seven times? Why am I saying all this? What does Scripture say? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Day after day, night after night, month after month, year after year, God is proclaiming who He is. To who? To us. What does the Bible say about us? That we are haters of God. We are at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. And God has been repeating Himself. He has been 
day after day proclaiming what? I am eternally powerful. God has shown it to them. What has he shown? Namely, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made ever since the beginning of the world, the creation of the world. And he doesn't just say it once and say, look, I told you I'm eternally powerful. I've told you that I am divine in nature. I've given you one source of that information and then I'm going to take it away. No. The fingerprints of God are everywhere. The voice of God is everywhere and it is proclaiming the same thing. As we sing, this is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my maker's, as this is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. What's the next line? He speaks to me where? Everywhere. He is speaking. He is proclaiming. You can say that he's preaching and God has been preaching the same sermon. I am eternally powerful. I am divine in nature. How patient has he been to continue to repeat himself to you and I? How kind to display his invisible attributes. Again, not to friends, not to family, but to enemies. How generous has he been? Literally every place you go, look through the telescope, look through the microscope, look in the animal kingdom, look in the mirror, and you hear the same song. You hear the same sermon. You see the same fingerprint. God has done this. He has shown us himself. He's communicated to us. He's revealed personal things about himself that he does not owe us. He's not obligated to tell us anything once or twice, let alone day after day, night after night, in every place that you and I look. God has gone to great lengths to make it clear without any shadow of a doubt who He is. So much so that the Bible says that everyone is without excuse. God has shown it to him. Now, children, you know what it's like when you're trying to explain something to someone and they just don't get it? You try to explain maybe something to one of your siblings or one of your friends or even one of your parents and they just don't get what you're trying to say. And it's frustrating, right? And so you try another way and they don't get it and you almost just feel like giving up. But here's the one place of comfort when they finally get it, right? You're showing them, you're telling them, and they understand. But what do we as human beings do to the God who has repeatedly told us, explained to us, defined for us, revealed to us, proclaimed to us who He is. Why does verse 18 begin with, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness? Why is the Bible filled with more verses about the anger and wrath of God than it is about the love of God? Why did Jesus, the most perfect, the most full of love, we heard of Stephen being full of the Spirit, Jesus even infinitely more so, literally filled with the Holy Spirit, the triune God was pleased to dwell in him, the fullness of God. No one loved like him. No one was more spirit filled. No one was more led to the glory of God. And no one spoke of hell more than Jesus did. Why? Why is the triune God so angry? Because 
even though God has told you and I about himself, even though he has repeated himself over and over and over again in the clearest language, even where children can get it, even though he has literally put his holy fingerprints on every single thing that has been made so that you and I can know him, what does the Holy Spirit say to us through this verse? Verse 21 For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. What is the fruit of all of his labor to repeat himself, to explain himself, to proclaim himself? How do we as human beings respond to this gracious kindness, this repetition, this down to the most minute detail of expression of his holy, eternal power and divine nature, we don't care. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. Why is God's wrath revealed from heaven against everybody? Because even though God showed himself, nobody cares. This is the wickedness of sin. This is the true state of lost men and women. No, nobody is a good person. Paul's going to say that in just a few chapters. Nobody does any good. No, men and women are evil in the highest way. Why? Because even though God has graciously and kindly, generously, made himself known. People don't live any differently. They don't treat him any differently. To sum it up, nobody cares that God is God. It happens at times where police officers, as they're doing their, their job, and it's a difficult uh, job, truly, to be a police officer, especially in these times but you know they see a car speeding down the road might be doing some swerving what does a, a good police officer do well they turn on their red and blue lights and they pull that driver over and as the police officer walks up to the driver's side and begins to uh, let them know why they pull them over suddenly it dawns on the officer who is in the car and the person in the car says these uh, infamous six Words, do you know who I am? Some famous actor, some politician, right? Some important person. And what is the police officer supposed to do? This has been documented. They say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize who you were. Carry on. Go on your way. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. In fact, the more power that person has, the more they expect to be treated differently. They expect to be treated accordingly. The more important, the more well-known, the more wealthy, the more powerful. They would be shocked beyond recognition if the police officer would say, I don't care who you are, you broke the law. That's not supposed to happen. And in our world, it doesn't happen. But what does happen is, Men and women know God, and they don't do anything with that knowledge at all. We recognize who He is, we see who He is, but don't care. We're laid out with two ways of this complete and total disregard for God. One says they did not honor Him as God. This means um, we don't glorify Him as God. We don't worship Him as God. Basically put, we do not treat God as though He's God. What, what is Paul doing here? He is as a... Um, we heard earlier, like a prosecutor, like a lawyer, he's stacking the evidence against mankind. Chapter 1 is about the Gentiles. Chapter 2, he's going to get to the Jews. Right now, he's dealing with Gentiles. That's us. 
We don't honor Him as God. First Chronicles 16.28 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, listen to this, do His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Tremble before Him all the earth. Ascribe to Him. Give to Him. Count Him worthy of what He's worthy of. The earth trembles before the Lord. But let's be honest, when was the last time you trembled before the Lord? When you think of His name and what He's due, do you live according to the greatness and the weight of His glory? Job 12.7, this is amazing, but ask the beasts and they will teach you the birds of the heavens, and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In His hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. What's the Bible saying? Go to the beasts, go to the birds, go to the bushes, and they will all tell you. God is the one who is the creator. He's the one who is worthy. He's the one who is to be honored, to be glorified, to be worshipped. Even the wild animals know that the Lord is God and should be treated as such. And what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little Faith? What is that? A lack of faith. A lack of trust. The animals trust the Lord to provide for them. But what do we do? We worry. We're anxious. We're fearful. The angels worship Him with all their hearts and minds. They give all to Him. How do you treat Him? I'm sure that all of you pay your bills and you teach your children to pay their debts, right? Dave Ramsey um, wisely teaches people to pay what they owe others. And Romans 13, 7 says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. And what's the next one say? Honor to whom Honor is owed. Have you ever thought about that in the context of God? He deserves honor. We owe Him honor. Does that sum up your life? Is your life spent seeking to give Him the honor due His name, the glory due His name. God has never lied, right? He can't lie. And yet, why do we doubt Him? Do we trust Him fully? Why not? 
Because although we know God, you and I do not honor him as God. To honor him as God is to trust him because he's trustworthy. To honor him as God is to fear him because he's worthy of our fear. To honor him is to obey him because he's Lord. To honor him is to enjoy him because in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. To honor him as God is to respond to what we know of him and live accordingly, live appropriately. And yet the reality, the sad reality is we don't. We don't. Psalm 68:34 ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. What are you ascribing to him? Really? How many of you are like me, or you get upset because your words are not taken seriously? Your voice is not treated with respect, appreciation. Have your children or your spouse or anyone else ever treated your words as a small thing? Be honest. How does that make you feel? We want our voice to matter. We want our words to matter. And it upsets us when people hear our voice and do not care that we've spoken. Have you ever read Psalm 29? Listen to this, Psalm 29, verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. What was the phrase that kept being repeated? The voice of the Lord. You and I get so upset because people don't take our voice seriously. But I ask, how do you treat the voice of the Lord? How do you treat His holy word? Do you immediately obey? Do you give Him all of yourself, do you surrender all? We sing it, it's easy to sing, right? But as you examine your life, is there anything you're holding back, anything you're keeping, anything you read and you say, I don't like that commandment, I don't want to do that, I'm not going to obey it, and what is this but to treat lightly the voice of the Lord? All of this is not honoring Him as God, though we know him. Paul Washer has a sobering quote. You've probably heard it before. Here stands God in the day of creation. He looks at stars and he says, All you stars, move yourself to this place and start in this order and move in a circle and move exactly as I tell you until I give you another word. Planets, pick yourself up and whirl. Make this formation at my command until I give you another word. He looks at mountains and says, be lifted up, and they obey him. He tells valleys, 
be cast down and they obey him. He looks at the seas and says, you will come this far and the sea obeys. Then he looks at you and says, come and you go, no. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. This is why Jesus taught us all to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. This was the most important prayer request in the mind of the Son of God as he looked around, as he saw the needs. Oh, there were there were so many problems in the first century. There was all kinds of oppression. There was all kinds of uh, wickedness abounding. But in the heart of the Lord Jesus, there was one thing that stood above it all. And that was the name of the Lord being holy, where people would honor God as he deserves to be honored. He looked around. He didn't see it. And it upset him. And he said, this is what you pray. This is what you pray before anything else and everything else. In fact, this is what fuels every single prayer that comes from your lips. But this is only the first slap to the face of God. This would be enough for the wrath of God to be revealed from heaven. But he goes on and says, not only do you and I refuse to treat God as he deserves to be treated, but we go one step further They did not honor him as God or do what? What does the text say? Or give him thanks. Or give thanks to him. No gratitude. We are unthankful people. In spite of everything he does for us, we don't thank him. Again, you and I, we get so upset. I did this for you. I did that for you. Look at what I've provided. Look at how I fed. Look at how I've worked. Look at how I've served my fingers to the bone for you. And you won't even say thank you. And yet, as God stands before all of humanity, he says this about us. You don't honor me as God and you don't give thanks to me. Demanding other people thank you, but you don't give thanks to me. And what do we have from God? What does the Bible say? First Timothy 6.13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Acts 17.24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. We heard that earlier. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind, all mankind, life and breath and everything. All mankind. Richard Dawkins, the most mouth-frothing atheist so-called, the most vile person on this planet, is breathing and has life because God has given it to them. You know why you are alive right now? It's not because of your diet, though it's important to take care of yourself. It's not because of your exercise regimen. It's not because of how safely uh, you drive, how well you're armed, or any other reason you can come up with. The only reason you are alive today is because the God who is not honored or thanked keeps you breathing. Your heart is called an involuntary muscle, which means you don't make your heart beat. God does. He supplies you with life, which is everything that you need to live. Digestive systems, functioning brains, livers, hearts, nerves, blood flowing through the veins, and a host of other things that other people are far more equipped to explain to you than I am. And if God was just for one moment to withhold any of this, you would die where you sit, where I stand. Breath. 
Anybody ever count their breaths? How many breaths have you taken since I started talking? We don't keep track. I don't. And God does. Every single breath that he's given to you has been willingly and intentionally supplied by the Father who is in heaven, who, from whom every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He gives and gives and gives all kinds of things food and family and marriage and children and memory and music, uh, art, color, experiences, work, money, on and on and on it goes. But even more precious than that, He has given the gift of His Son to this world. He has sent Jesus Christ to this wicked, fallen, evil, spiteful, dishonoring, ungrateful world. And how have we treated the Son of God when human beings got their hands on the Son of God? So to put Him to death. This is us. Jesus Christ came to live for us. He suffered for us. He died for us. In Him was no sin. Which of you can charge me of sin? He who knew no sin became sin for us. He did not die for His own sins. He came to be a lamb who takes away the sin of the world, not His own. He came to suffer in our place. He came to give His life as a ransom. He did not come to be served, but to serve. He came being led like a a sheep to the slaughter, a lamb to the slaughter who opens not His mouth. He was afflicted and stricken by God. He did all of this for us. Why? Because God so loved this world that he gave his son and yet we are ungrateful. We don't thank him. Even for this, he's patient and kind and generous. Now, many of you know that taking certain medications can be a dangerous thing, right? Why? Because there are side effects. Certain pills help you in one way, but then you have to take pills for the side effects. Would you like to hear some side effects from some very popular medications that are supposed to help people? Thoughts of suicide... uh, hallucinations, depression, memory loss, confusion, aggressive behavior, anxiety, sudden death. Those are the side effects of taking certain pills. Well, what are the side effects of knowing God, not honoring Him as God, and refusing to thank Him. There's a side effect, and our verse tells us, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him, but, what was the result? They became, what? Futile, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the result of not honoring God as God and not giving thanks to Him even though we know Him to be God. What does futile mean? Not necessarily a word we use in our everyday vocabulary. It means to be given to worthlessness. To think about worthless things or to become destitute of real Wisdom. It's what we find in uh, Jeremiah 2, 4, where the Bible says, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness, and here it is, and became futile, became worthless. They became empty. They became vain. Given over to worthlessness. You were made 
for His glory. You were made in the image and likeness of God, but if you refuse to honor Him, if you refuse to give thanks to Him, then the side effects is your mind will become vain, worthless, unreasonable, irrational, empty. This has to do with your ability to think, your ability to reason, your ability to draw meaningful conclusions. In other words, if you reject God, then you are left to your own thoughts, your own thinking, your own conclusions. The world is unable to think clearly. Let me illustrate this by giving you two headlines from this past week. A pregnant man features among the 37 new emojis coming to iPhones in Apple's iOS update. Trans child molester, 26, who assaulted a girl, age 10, is sentenced to just two years in a juvenile facility. The judge refused to prosecute her as an adult. Stand back, those of you whose mind has been enlightened by the Word of God, who's been given the mind of Christ. You step back and you say, what is this? How, how does this make any sense? It doesn't. Why are these things being done and practiced? Why does the world look at this and say, what's wrong with you? This is normal. It's because they refuse to honor God or give thanks to Him, so therefore the side effect is they became futile in their thinking, their minds, they can't ration, they can't reason. Have you ever tried to ex explain truth to someone who's lost, you try to reason with them. You try to bring them from point A to point G. God is. Let's go from here to here. And the conclusions they come up with, the way that they reason, it's just like, what is wrong with your thinking? Something's broken. You don't understand what I'm saying. I'm using language, but something is off. Something is wrong. Why? This is the side effect this is the decline of mankind. It's obvious insanity. It's obvious foolishness. And yet it's normal. People can be so intelligent, but so empty in their thoughts. They can go on and on about all kinds of things. And yet they're unable to connect the dot about the most important. Because they became futile in their thinking. Albert Barnes explains what Paul means because he's going to go a little deeper into it in the following verse. Uh, Albert Barnes says, The meaning here seems to be they became foolish, frivolous in their thoughts and reasonings. They acted foolishly. They employed themselves in useless and frivolous questions, the effect of which was to lead the mind further and further from the truth respecting God. The thinking is broken and empty and worthless, but so are the passions. He says, not just they became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. What does the Holy Spirit mean by foolish? The Greek word means uh, the man who is a fool, who cannot learn the lesson of experience, who will not use the mind and brain that God has given to him. This person is without insight or understanding and is descriptive of unredeemed man's heart. It is the man who is without insight into moral or religious things, thus is so blinded that evil is thought of as good and good as evil. As the proverb says, the way of a fool is right where? 
in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Are you wise in your own eyes? Are you able to be corrected? Or do you think that you know it all? Heart, foolish, that's foolish. Uh, Unable to be convinced, you think you got it all. This is found in the heart. They're foolish hearts. Heart is a broad term that means your emotions, your will, your passions, your desires, your affections, your intentions. This is you. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So he is. This is who you and I are at the very core of our being. And what did Jesus say? Remember he talked about the unclean spirit that's gone out of a person, is passing through waterless places, seeking to find a place of rest, finds none, returns back to the one that he had left, finds it empty. He comes back with seven spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first, so it will be with this evil generation. In other words, when you refuse to honor God, give thanks to Him, though you know He is, though you know the truth about Him, but you suppress that truth, you have opened yourself up like a vacuum cleaner, and vacuum cleaners will draw in that which is in front of them. If it will not be God and His truth and His holiness and His glory, you will not remain empty. Darkness will settle in. Darkness. Instead of light within you, there's darkness there. This is every single lost person without exception, no matter how noble, no matter how sweet, no matter how intelligent or how decent they may look to you and me. If they're not a Christian, then they are in this category. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, this is you too. There is darkness in the very heart, at the very core of who you are. John MacArthur said this, to reject God is to reject the greatest reality in the universe, the reality which gives the only true meaning, purpose, and understanding to everything else. Refusing to recognize God and to have His truth guide their minds, sinful men are doomed to futile quests for wisdom through various human speculations that lead only to falsehood and therefore to still greater unbelief and wickedness. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So the, heart, uh, the mind becomes futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And as a result of darkened hearts and empty heads, they claim to be wise, but they are fools. And that's a very sad thing. The most intellectually advanced people that you know may be brilliant in so many ways. And yet when they speak of the soul, when they speak of truth, when they speak of origins, how we got here, it's like you're in the twilight zone. It's like, what happened to your thinking? What happened to your capacity? Moral relativism. The wise who claim to be so wise, but are actually fools. Moral relativism means, is it wrong to murder someone? Depends on your culture. That's what's being taught at the highest levels of public education. It's like the flavor of ice cream. Some like chocolate, some like strawberry. Some like murder, some don't. It's completely up to you. Postmodernism, teaching that there's no such thing as truth. That may be your truth. It's true for you, but you can't say it's true for everybody. And they pontificate. <laughs> they go on and on and speak so, so eloquently and they put all this flowery language. And at the end of the day, you ask one of these Harvard professors, these brilliant scientists at the height of their career, am I a chipmunk? 
And you know what they'll say, children? Do you think you are? I mean, I don't think you are, but if you think you are, then you're a chipmunk. Claiming to be wise, they are fools. God has spoken about this. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. Do not be intimidated, brothers and sisters, by the degrees that people have after their name, by their status, where they graduated from. If they are not in Christ, they are fools. Jeremiah 8, 9, The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? There it is. You reject God. You suppress the truth. You don't honor Him. You don't give thanks. There's no wisdom in you. That's God's assessment. I'll spare you speaking about all these different philosophies I think the point has been made there. I will say this. uh, One of the poster children for philosophy, psychology, was a man by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. How many of y'all have heard of him before? He was a German philosopher called a German thinker. And that's not an uh, empty statement that I made about him being so important. Encyclopedia Britannica had this to say about him. The history of philosophy, theology, and psychology since the early 20th century is unintelligible without him. Existentialism and deconstruction, a movement in philosophy and and literary criticism owe much to him. The psychologists Alfred Adler and Carl Jung were deeply influenced, as was Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychology, who said of Nietzsche, that he had a more penetrating understanding of himself than any man who ever lived or was ever likely to live. It was Nietzsche who famously said, God is dead. It was Nietzsche who famously said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it was Nietzsche who spent the last 11 years of his life in total mental darkness Insane. Why? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the wisdom of this age. And Job had the right words when he said in chapter 13, As for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. So, people know God. They refuse to honor Him as God. They don't give thanks to Him. As a result, they become futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts are darkened, claiming to be wise, claiming to be intelligent, claiming to know it all. All they do is broadcast and show off that they are utter fools because they refuse to worship the living and true God. Therefore, the final step and the final fact that we will look at here, if you throw a massive stone into the ocean, it makes a big splash, right kids? But something else happens. It begins to make ripples. You'll see that? These circles. And as the circles begin to go out, what happens to them? They get bigger and wider. And it can even result in massive waves causing destruction on the shore. So, if you will, the massive rock of knowing God not honoring Him as God or giving thanks to Him is the great splash of all splashes. And what are the rippling effects of this? 
idolatry and false religion. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We were made to worship and we will worship someone or something. And the book of Romans tells us that these fools exchanged the glory of God. You know what that's like? It's like someone um, giving you a, a yellow rock and you examine it and you look at it and you weigh it and you say, this isn't gold, this is fool's gold. And you throw it away because you say it's worthless. It's not valuable. It's not precious. That is what mankind has done to God. Examined Him, knew God. He's unimpressive. He's unworthy. He's unenjoyable. And therefore... Here's the sadness of it all. They take what can be known about God and instead of worshiping God, honoring God, thanking God, living for God, going toward the truth that they know, they take that knowledge, they take that understanding and they use it to create idols. And they bow down and worship idols instead of the God who made them. Acts 17, 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Listen to this. Having determined allotted periods, and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they may seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each one of us. Jeremiah asked the question, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. People often ask, what about the heathen in the jungle? What about the pagan over in Africa or over in this place? What about the people who didn't grow up in a Christian environment? What about those people who didn't have a Bible in their homes? What about them? Certainly, God would not be unjust to throw those people into hell. They haven't heard. But what does the Bible say here? It's not that they don't know. It's not that they haven't heard. It's that they know God. They don't honor Him. They don't give thanks. And so their hearts are darkened, their minds are futile, they claim to be wise, they become fools, and they exchange God, they exchange the glory of God, they refuse to worship Him, they count Him as unworthy, unsatisfactory, unimpressive, and they say, rather than worshiping you, we're going to make our own gods. And you know what you find? If you go into the jungles, you don't find atheism. If you go into the most separated people groups. You don't find people who worship nothing. No. You find complex mythologies. You find complex religions, systems, animism where they worship spirits, pantheism where they worship the earth, 
polytheism. Hinduism has over 330 million gods. They even have a god of rats where they have a temple dedicated to rats where rats come and drink milk while the people are touching them and bowing before them. The Egyptians worship beetles. You can see them in in, uh, the hieroglyphics, the, the sacred cow. The Native Americans worship birds. You see it in all of their tribal dances, the feathers. That's not decoration. They bow down to worthless things. They bow down to images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the world. They are not without excuse. They're guilty. And so when God brings them to judgment, they won't be able to say, but I didn't know. He will say, I showed you myself day after day. You knew I was. You didn't honor me. You didn't thank me. And I turned you over. Not atheism, but idolatry. And how are people talking today? They praise the universe. Well, what about you and I? Do you exchange the glory of God for idols? Let's do a little idol test. Do you sin if you can't get what you want? That's your idol. Do you sin if you can't have what you want? That's your idol. What occupies your thought the most? Behold your God. Are you exchanging the glory of God for idols? What's the final word on this? Jesus Christ is the only hope. This is why Paul again said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? For the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Good works will not break through the darkened hearts. Good works and religious efforts will not fix the futile mind. It will not take away the stain of not honoring God. It will not remove the fury of not thanking God. There is one way. There is one hope. There is one source. And it is Jesus Christ himself. He came and lived and died. And Jesus was treated like he was an idolater. He was treated like he didn't honor God. He didn't thank God. And because Christ was put to death in our place, all of us, regardless of how guilty you are of these crimes, can be forgiven. You can be welcomed. And your heart can be changed from darkness to light. Flee from your idolatry. Run to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is a very sobering passage where we are just bombarded with sin, our sin, the, the judgment. There's not much hope in this section. And yet, Lord, as we read it and our hearts break, as we see our own sin and we see the sin around us, We are reminded of the gospel. We are reminded that there is only one place of safety and it is Jesus Christ alone. Please help us, Lord, to look to him, to trust in him, to run to him, to flee from our idols and honor you as you deserve to be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.